it just so happened that after all the deductions and everything, that was about how much my paycheck was. (laughs) (laughs) And so we said, man, I've got a master's degree and a few years of experience. And I'm, we just doubled my income by buying one house. Are you looking to create more money, more options, and more fun? Hi, I'm Chris McCarron, and each week my guests and I will share our experiences with real estate investing and do our best to help empower you to start creating wealth yourself. Welcome to Women Creating Wealth. If you're ready to get started, visit womencreatingwealth.net. For now, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to Women Creating Wealth. We have a real treat today because we have somebody besides me to talk to you, and it's somebody fantastic, Avery Carl. She is the author of Amazon's best-selling book, Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth, Your Guide to Analyzing, Buying, and Managing Vacation Properties. She's the host of the Short-Term Rentals podcast. She's also the CEO of the Short-Term Shop, the country's top short-term rental and Airbnb real estate agency. The short-term shop has connected investors with over 5,000 cash-flowing short-term rental properties since 2018. And Avery herself went from a $37,000 a year salary to a real estate portfolio of over 220 doors in just five years through strategically investing in short-term and vacation rentals. This strategy allowed her to grow her portfolio 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 much more quickly than starting off with the traditional long-term rentals. And it's her goal to help as many investors reach financial independence through short-term renting, invest short-term rental investing as possible, which is also my goal. Awesome. Avery, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. So it's interesting because I know that so for short, when you're buying short-term rentals, did you have any challenges with getting them financed? Because that's sometimes the problem that people have when they're just getting started in short-term rentals. Um, Not a problem necessarily, more so much as just a limitation on what we could spend. But at the time, we didn't need to spend any more than than what we did. So uh, it it all worked out how it was supposed to. Uh, We did run out of debt to income ratio after a few, got a, a partner on our fourth and fifth short-term rental. Uh, and then a few years later, he bought us out. We went and 1031 exchanged those proceeds into more of our own. So um, all that to say, no, I haven't had a problem financing them so far. <laughs> but you didn't go with a traditional model for all of your investments. So for the first several, we did conventional financing. So conventional investment loan. A lot of people think that the minimum you can put down for an investment property is 20%. It's actually 15% for a conventional investment loan. So we were able to do that um, and then just roll everything we made on that property plus all the saving we were doing um, initially into the next down payment. So we were able to just kind of move pretty quickly. And then we did have to, after our second one, wait until the next calendar year because uh, we needed to show that income on our tax returns to be able to get our DTI where it needed to be again. But um, after that, once, so I guess another thing is like you can have 10 conventional finance properties, or if you're married, you can have 10 each if you can each qualify on your own. Uh, But once we moved past that number, we just get commercial loans. So um, all of our single family long-terms and multifamily long-terms are commercially financed. Yeah. The the only thing I know that people have trouble with, with the 
short-term rentals is the bank says, well, you don't have a lease. So why should we give you any sort of, you know, anything toward this income? So you do have to have your own income to sort of bridge that gap. Well, for conventional, yes. So now they didn't have this when I started, but now as of the past three years, there is what's called DSCR financing for short-term rentals, which helps you kind of get around that. So rather than financing you based on your own debt to income ratio, they finance you based on what the property will make. Uh, usually on a one-to-one ratio. So if the mortgage is 5,000 a month, they want to see that the house will make 5,000 a month, sometimes on a 1.25% ratio. Um, But that's a a way that a lot of people have been financing over the past three or four years. It's really good for people who maybe just switched from W-2 work over to 1099 work and don't have two years of 1099 income to show, or just people who happen to, you know, maybe they've had a windfall or a settlement or something and they have a big chunk of money to put down on a house, but they don't have the DTI to be able to get that conventional financing. So DSCR loans have really been uh, a really great tool that have come about for short terms as of the past few years. Yeah. And I'm not sure that we can use those in Massachusetts. I'll have to do some research on that because I've talked to some different lenders and they're just not too excited about the short-term rental financing. Oh, really? So. Um, my mortgage company, the mortgage shop, I own 50% of a mortgage company. We can do them. Call us. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. So what was your biggest, when you first started this, okay, I want to like get our listeners to understand what's needed in your mindset to be able to do something. I mean, obviously not perhaps not on this scale, but even just to purchase your first short-term rental investment. Well, I think you need to get out of the mindset that you have to be able to go clean it yourself every few days and and go manage it yourself, you know, in terms of letting people in, doing all that stuff. Uh, all of that can be done remotely. But the main reason that, that that's a, a big limiting belief is because the vast majority of us don't live in what might be the best place to invest for us. So when I started, I lived in Nashville. I wanted to do short-term rentals, but Nashville is like, they are constantly changing the rules. Even if you buy something that's within the rules, they can change it later and you're stuck. So I had to choose, I had to go three hours east to the Smoky Mountains in East Tennessee because they had more favorable um, regulations. So they also had better purchase prices. So, you know, you might live in a really expensive area or an area that doesn't allow it. So getting over that hump of feeling like you need to be able to drive by it twice a day, I think is the biggest mindset shift for people. Yeah. And that is huge, right? I mean, there's a a nightmare scenario where, you know, someone's doing something crazy at your house and you don't know about it. So having support people in the area and how did you vet that? How did you get your people in an area where you didn't know anyone at the beginning, I'm assuming? Yes. Well, the, the way I did it is it's a lot different than the way it's done now. So we started in 2015, which in the grand scheme of things was not that long ago, but right. in, in the world of short-term rentals and education and gurus and courses and all that crap, uh, that was a long time ago. So there weren't all these Facebook groups where I could, you know, now every single town almost has the short-term rental investor Facebook group. And you can just go in there and, and say, hey, I need a handyman. And people will give you recommendations. Back then I had to, and you can't do this now because they can report you on Airbnb and Verbo, but I went on, on the platforms and started messaging hosts. Like, could you please give me your cleaner? Most people were like, hell no. Like, who are you? Get away. But one person said, oh yeah, she's great. Here she is. I know she needs some more work. And, um, 
so that's how we got ours. But now you could take, press the easy button and go in those local Facebook groups and ask. Nice. Nice. So that's part <laughs> of what you've built part of your, right. part of your empire or part of your contribution to the short-term rentals. Yeah. The things I that hope you found so. missing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we do have, have a big uh, 50,000 person Facebook group where you can ask, you know, all, all of the above. And then some, uh, we've kind of created a community of people helping people learn how to do this. Yeah. What were some other challenges that you had right, right at the beginning? Really just so we didn't have any money. <laughs> the main thing. And that can be challenging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you're trying to buy properties. So we saved and saved and I put us on budgets and, um, and once we got the first property, then we, we've never, even to this day, 250 doors later, have never spent income made on real estate on anything except buying more real estate. So, um, I th it's really just getting that first property and getting that extra cash flow coming in. That's the hardest. I would say the first one and two are the hardest. And then you have enough coming in that you, you snowball into the next one relatively quickly. So just getting past that first hump of of having enough money to make a down payment is the hardest part. Yeah. But I think also that's also comes down to mindset too, right? I mean, once you have a couple properties, you start to think of yourself as a real estate investor. And I feel like things just flow mm -hmm. a little more easily after that. Right. Yeah, they do. And, and we had extra jobs. So Lyft and Uber were new back then. And, um, my husband was driving Uber uh, when he wasn't working. So he still, he still actually has that job. He is a classic rock DJ on Sirius XM oh, used awesome. to be. Yeah. Yeah. It used to be full-time. Now he just does it on the weekends for fun. But when he wasn't hosting, he would drive Uber. And I remember his dad saying to us one time when he came to visit and Luke mentioned that he was doing that. He said, wow, y'all, y'all must really be destitute if he's out there driving a taxi. And we said, no, we, we just need more money so that we can go, you know, do the things that we want to do. We can live comfortably the way that we are, or we can do a little extra and really, really excel at in cash flow in life. So that's people don't get it <laughs> when you're trying to work hard to get to something. Well, exactly. And that's this exactly the sort of limiting belief that people, you know, not meaning to, right? They don't want right. to hurt you. They don't want to step on your dreams and make you feel like, you know, bad about yourself or something like, oh, you're doing it driving a taxi, you must be destitute. No, how about I must be driven? How about I must be ambitious? How about I must have a vision of something that's way better for my life? Yeah. It can exactly. be tough. Yeah. Family. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and what was it when you, before you started doing this, how did you first get the idea? Well, it was not on purpose. And I think a lot of people kind of back into real estate investing sort of accidentally. And uh, we were moving from New York City to Nashville. And our real estate agent at the time was really trying to get us to buy in this area of Nashville. It's super hipster and was appreciating really fast. And she was telling us these stories of, oh, I sold a house to this person last year and they sold it again this year without doing anything to it for $70,000 more. And we said, oh, you know, all that sounds great, but we just moved from Brooklyn. We are tired of neighbors. We want to move out in the country. 
So we did, we bought a house out in the country, but we had a little bit of money left and we were thinking, and at the time I was really into Dave Ramsey, which I'm not anymore, but at the time in my Dave Ramsey brain, I said, well, you know, we do have this extra money. Uh, What if we bought one of those houses that she was talking about that are appreciating a lot and, you know, the renters will pay the mortgage. We rent it out. Our future kids will eventually need to go to college and then we can just sell that house and the appreciation will pay for their college and we won't have to use any of our own income. And so we did that. (laughs) And luckily the very first uh, house that we came across or that very first house we bought cash flowed a thousand bucks over the mortgage. So the mortgage was about six fifty a month and the purchase price is 122,000. And it just so happened that after all the deductions and everything, that was about how much my paycheck was. (laughs) (laughs) And so we said, man, I've got a master's degree and a few years of experience and I'm we just doubled my income by buying one house. So then we started educating ourselves on what real estate investing is. We didn't even know it was called that when we bought that house right. and um, listen to all the podcasts, like all the bigger pockets podcasts and um, listen, I mean, read all the books, all the Kiyosaki stuff, you know, everything. And then we said, okay, now we know what we're doing. And um, the second property was our first short-term rental. And we kind of, how I mentioned earlier, didn't want to do that in Nashville. Cause we said, well, what can we buy? That's going to make us the most amount of money, the fastest. And we said, Oh, short-term, but we didn't want to do Nashville. So we chose the Smokies and the rest is kind of history. Exciting. That's fantastic. So really the seed of it though, I think was just you knowing somewhere in your head that you wanted to have this passive income stream, right? It wasn't just, you didn't really stumble onto it. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, you had that, that goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it really, it was just freedom of time because I knew we were going to have kids. I knew that I wanted to keep my career and I want really wanted to be able to do everything. And I knew at the, at the job that I did have, that the boss that I had was not going to be the type to understand, you know, Hey, my two-year-old has a fever today. I can't make it in. Got to stay home with them. And so I was kind of desperately trying to think like, Oh man, I got to find a job that's hundred percent remote. Or I was just trying to find that thing to where I could do all of it. Yeah. And flexibility. And yeah. 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 And it just ended up being real estate. Yeah. Nice. Nice. But now a lot of people invest in real estate, but they don't go to the next level, right? You've, you've taken it a whole order of magnitude beyond just having enough passive income to, you know, have kids. basically, right. right? So what was the motivation for that? How did you, I mean, how did that come about? Um, I'm just like that <laughs> disorder, maybe. Um, I'm very, very, very competitive, uh, play very like very competitive athlete my whole life. I played college soccer, won a big 12 championship. So that's just kind of like the way that I am. I can't, just kind of half do something and coast and say, Oh, this is good enough. Like nothing's ever good enough. I've got to keep going and take it bigger and take it more. So, uh, I don't know that that's necessarily a good way to be, but it's worked for me so far. <laughs> no, don't question it. And, and how about, you know, then you went, you said, okay, I'm doing this, this is working. And you, you know, you had your competitive hat on, but then at some point you went into the, okay, now I really want to help other people hat. So how did that come about? Also kind of by accident. Um, I did not, when I got my real estate license, I was like, I'm not being a realtor. 
that is, you know, selling soccer mom houses and I'm not going to go put open sign houses out. And like, I just, all of that sounded like I did not want to be that. Uh, I really just got my license so that I could do our own deals. So I could, you know, yeah, I've got the MLS right in front of me. I don't have to call anybody. It's midnight. I don't have to bother yeah. anybody. So started out with that. And then also because we live in the South and we're investing in the South and my husband's very much a New Yorker. So sometimes that relationship with, with Southern real estate agents hasn't gone so well. He's just way too direct. Um, so it kind of just happened organically. So we would have friends that would say, you're making how much on that cabin? How much do those cost? Oh, help me buy one. Teach me how to do it. And then it was friends of friends. And then it was people we didn't know. And then it just kind of grew into business. And here I was being a real estate agent. <laughs> and um, then we noticed that a lot of the people who were buying with us were also buying in Destin, Florida. And there was like one agent that most of them were buying with there. And we thought, well, how do we keep this in house? And then we so we opened up a Dustin office, which is where I live now. And um, then you know, now we have 20, 20 offices uh, across the U.S. of you know, what we feel are some of the best short-term rental or vacation rental markets in the country. We don't really do urban markets as much yeah. um, so that our all of our clients have their choice of, you know, do you want beach? Do you want mountain? Do you want high end? Do you want lower end? We've got sub 300 markets. So everybody's got, there's something for everyone. Yeah. And um, I think that just kind of the real estate investing community as a whole is very willing to help other people. So I've had people who weren't into real estate investing say, why would you teach other people how to compete with you? I'm like, cause there's plenty for everybody. It's not yeah. competing with me. <laughs> yeah, there's, exactly. you know, it's, um, so I think that's just kind of like a general mindset of, of the real estate investing subculture is that everybody teaches everybody how to, to do it because there's plenty for everybody. You know, we're not big, huge funds. We're all just people. People who want to <laughs> enjoy life more. Yeah. Have you found it difficult? I know in some of the markets that I'm in, there's a changing array of like you were talking about Nashville, they're constantly changing the regulations. You get into a situation where you're like, uh, okay, are you finding that happening in some of the other markets that you're in? We try to be pretty selective on the markets that we go into. So we really try to stick to markets that are true vacation tourism markets, that the economy of the market is kind of dependent on the tourism coming in, not a lot of hotel presence. So, you know, all that tourism is staying in short-term rentals. Yeah. Uh, there are a few that we've kind of stepped out of that a little bit, but there's still vacation markets, but also kind of Metro. So Orlando, you know, the Disney thing, and then also Scottsdale, but we haven't had any major regulation shifts, because I think we are pretty selective again about which markets we, we go into, but, um, and we, we stay out of urban markets for that exact reason. In most cases, because there's a lot of hotel presence in urban markets, a lot of primary homeowners who are not dependent on tourism for their income. So, you know, I get it. I live in a vacation market and I don't really want the house next door to me being a short-term rental either. Right. So, um, we try to stay out of those types of markets for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a smart way to go about it because it, it obviously, like you said, the hotels are going to complain. The neighbors are going to complain. There's just going to be a tension that you don't need when you're just trying to do, do a good thing and have a good time. And right. 
Right. What kinds of things would you, how do you, when you meet someone who's just like a little curious about what you do and they aren't quite sure how to get going, what kind of things do you tell them so that they can start to educate themselves and figure out if it could work for them? So I do direct them to my book, <laughs> um, but really it is just, it's, it's just a, like you said earlier, a mindset thing of understanding, like a lot of people think, oh, you know, real estate investing is for rich people. I'm not rich. I can't do that, but it's really not. It's mostly regular people who saved up, who are buying one, two, three houses over four or five years. Yeah. And, um, so it's really just a, a making them realize that they can do it too, that it's real estate investors aren't like special rainbow people. They're just people that decided they wanted to do something and did it. And you can absolutely be that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How did you start your Facebook group? What was your initial intention for that? Um, well, really we were just getting uh, a lot. So a lot of our clients were, had all the same, you know, 20 questions. So there was, it was nice to kind of make a community where like, yeah, I have the answer to that and I can answer that 20 times, or I can answer it once here. And then several other people who might have slightly differing opinions or ways of doing things can also answer it. And we can all kind of share information and like, oh, you know what, maybe his way of doing it is better than what I've been doing. That's pretty cool. So really just a community and sharing of information and best practices and, and just kind of making friends with people. Yeah, that's fantastic. Do you have any sort of uh, I'm just thinking like, oh, like an annual get together or something like that. Have you ever thought of doing like a big convention for short-term rental owners? I have thought about it like the past three years in a row, but I just cannot get it together <laughs> to do it. <laughs> Stuff just always, always pops up and, um, you know, life moves fast. Haven't done it. <laughs> yeah. It would be kind of fun, but. Oh yeah, it would be. Yeah. What are some of your favorite parts now about being where you are and being, you know, specific to the short-term rental investor hat? I mean, just the freedom of time. So for example, I, I went to pick my daughter up from, she went to a theater camp. She's about to turn five. She went to a theater camp over the summer, a little day camp thing. It ended at noon every day. Uh, and my favorite restaurant is underneath the theater. And so I was like, well, we're going to go eat mama's favorite restaurant. And she'd never been there. And then she was like, oh, this is the best food I've ever had. <laughs> that place, It's so good. Anyway, right. um, after lunch, she goes, the movie theaters across the street. Would you like to go see a movie with me? And I was like, I would. And so I can just clear my schedule if I want to, I don't have to answer to anybody and go back into the office. And so when my kids ask me something like that. I can say, yeah, let's go to the movie. There's one starting in 30 minutes. Let's go. And, um, you know, build those memories and have, you know, good quality time without having to answer to, or worry about anything. Uh, and you know, anything short-term rental related can wait two and a half hours while I go see a movie with my daughter. So, um, that's my favorite thing about it. Yeah. What would you say is the most challenging part? Um, just, dealing with difficult personalities, but you know, that's any client facing or service based business is there, you know, some people are going to be great. Some people are going to be easy. Some people are going to be difficult. There's all different types of personalities. And, um, I, I think I've gotten pretty good at dealing with most of them. I bartended for years and years in New York <laughs> and Austin and Los Angeles. So I've seen almost all personality types. I, I think I could say at this point, 
And so a lot of those skills kind of transfer over to dealing with people, but every now and then you'll get one that you're like, man, why are you like this? <laughs> but, um, that's the, the hardest part. And then it doesn't happen that often. Yeah. And that's the joy of short-term rentals because pretty soon they're going to be gone. <laughs> not permanent. Yeah, exactly. This is not a year long commitment with these crazy people. Yeah. <laughs> so you're helping, you're helping people to buy their units, but then you're staying on as the manager, correct? In, in some cases. No, no. So we okay. don't manage anybody else's. We just manage our own and we okay. teach our clients how to manage theirs so that they can really maximize that cash flow. And they can take, you know, that 20, 25% that they would have paid a manager and put it back into another property. So yeah. we teach them, you know, we teach them to fish rather than fishing for them. Yeah. And how are you doing the management of all of your personal units? So all of our short terms, yes. Our long terms we have on property managers, cause that's a little, you know, less yeah. expensive. So, but we handle all of our own short-term management. So what have you found? I, and there have been so many advances in Airbnb lately, as far as, you know, that being able to automate a lot of things, but they've also, I feel like, I don't know, this is kind of off topic, but do you feel like Airbnb has changed a little bit since they went public? Um, yeah, I think they're, they keep doing these quarterly updates and things that they didn't used to do. And it almost never is helpful. <laughs> uh, uh, last year, actually, it when they introduced the categories and everything, it like messed everybody's bookings up. So I do feel like now that they have more people to answer to, they're trying a lot of stuff that is not necessarily great for the host is very guest centric. The same time though, like I do love Airbnb. We wouldn't have a business without them. I know yeah. there's a big, um, you know, a big push for direct bookings right now. And I, I'm all for that. But at the end of the day, the bulk of my bookings do come from Airbnb. So we can't hate them too much, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, for, for me, the big advantage to using a service like Airbnb is the money. You know, I mean, if someone is going to, is booked six months out, you know, that money is in Airbnb's account. You're not like, oh, I hope they send me like a friend of mine that uses VRBO and they apparently I've never used them, but I guess they don't collect the money for you. Is that correct? Um, they do. It just, there's different ways that a guest can set up to pay so they okay. can pay all like all at the beginning, or they can pay in installments or they can wait until the check-in day. Uh, it just kind of depends. Yeah. Because I know, I don't know uh, for him, he was, and maybe this was a direct booking, but he was waiting, you know, he got checks in waiting for checks to come in from people. And I'm like, I do not want to be waiting for checks to come in from people and trying to keep track of who's paid for what and all this so yeah, maybe he, he was maybe doing this was wrong. a direct booking he had. Maybe it wasn't <laughs> yeah. VRBO. Yeah, yeah, because VRBO definitely does direct deposit yeah. and all that. Yeah, that would. And then when COVID came and everybody wanted their money back, oh no, <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that was a mess. <laughs> um, what other kinds of sort of tips and tricks are you using that you think new people might not be aware of or that might be helpful to them? Well, you have to use a dynamic pricing tool. So Price Labs is the best one out there. Uh, you don't want to be just manually pricing because you will, you'll miss something. And it, it's like, yeah, okay, Christmas, great. Let's raise the price. New, uh, Not New Year's, um, 4th of July, great. Labor Day, great. But there's all kinds of little things 
that go on in a market that you may not be aware of that would cause the you to be able to get a higher rate than usual. So this way, if you use a tool like Price Labs, it automatically does that for you. So you don't have to pay as much attention. You're not really leaving any money on the table. So you definitely need to have a dynamic pricing tool. So you prefer something like that versus just smart pricing from Airbnb? Yeah, yeah. So Price Labs is designed to get you the highest price per night, whereas the Airbnb smart pricing tends, again, to get, it's more geared towards getting the renter the best price per night. So it's kind of, I, I prefer Price Labs because it makes me more money rather than less money. And so that interacts with Airbnb. It automatically is updating your pricing there. Yeah, yeah. So um, it it integrates with Airbnb or, or whichever yeah, whichever VRBO property management software you're using. So we use um, Hospitable. So Hospitable manages all of our listings across all the platforms. And uh, so that way we only have one dashboard where we would go, like if we need to change photos on something, we'll just go in Hospitable, change that, and it puts it on all of the platforms. Same thing with pricing. So um, your price labs will just sit right on top of your uh, property management software and integrate with that. Yeah, yeah. What have you found to be the biggest, like, was there anything that you implemented that you didn't have at the beginning that you were like, oh my God, this is so awesome. This is saving us so much time. Um, definitely price labs. And because we were having to go through, you know, every week and say, okay, well, we're going to change the pricing here, here, and here. And you still want to do that. You still want to pay attention to it, but trying to find the different um, events that might be happening can get challenging. Uh, also the automatic calendar sync between our cleaners. So when we first started and there weren't a lot of property management tools out there, I would have to send my cleaner a calendar at the beginning of every month and say, here's your cleans for the month. And if something changed or someone canceled, I'd have to remember to change that with her. Whereas now it's automatic through the property management software. She just syncs her Google calendar to it and it lets her know when the dates are. So we don't have to, to send, to go through every month and send that to her. Yeah, that is huge. I made that mistake before forgetting <laughs> to send her a specific calendar or whatever. I just do a screenshot. And then I was like, if I forget, cause somebody else books and they, they're like, it's not clean. I'm like, shit. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Darn yep. it. I forgot. <laughs> so you said, we mentioned before that, before we started recording, you mentioned that you have some events coming up. What kind of events are, do you have? Oh yeah. So I am speaking at a few conferences, um, over the next few months. The first one is the STR Nation Conference in San Diego. That is September 25th and 26th, I believe. Uh, yeah, 24th through 26th. Um, then I'm speaking at Bigger Pockets Conference in Orlando. And that is October 14th through 16th. And then last but not least, I'm speaking at HostCon in um, Houston, October 29th and 30th. Fun. Excellent. Yeah. What's your favorite part of this whole, your, your whole client interaction piece? Like, you know, the speaking engagements and stuff like that. I mean, how do you feel about that addition to your life and how do you like interacting with people at the conferences and stuff like that? It's fun to meet people in person. So ah, I just bit my tongue. So it's, it's fun to meet people in person. Um, like people whose names, you'll look at their name on their name tag and you're like, oh, I've talked to you on Facebook a hundred times. Nice to finally meet you in person. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know, get to get to know them in real life and not just being, you know, 
in a Zoom box on the other side of the world. So uh, getting to actually meet people and interact with them is, is really nice, especially because, you know, COVID really took that away from us. <laughs> and, um, you know, being able to just get out there and meet people and hang out with them and be, you know, real people together and not just digital people is nice. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of COVID, how was that for you? Did you, how did that impact your business? It sucked for about two weeks for maybe three. And then <laughs> the doors blew off. Uh, we were worried, you know, when, when everything shut down, we were like, crap, there go the short terms. The other shoe finally dropped. Good thing we have all these long terms. Yeah. And then what actually happened was the short terms like boomed. They were getting higher prices per night than we'd ever seen. And we yeah. had to worry about the long terms and the eviction moratoriums, which we didn't end up affecting us. But um, that's why I kind of, I, I think it's a really good idea to have multiple oh. asset classes in your portfolio. So yeah. no matter what happens, if something affects one, you've got the other one and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. It happened during what's mud season in the market that we're in. It's traditionally empty. And all of a sudden we've got people that want to like move there. Like well, we don't have to be in the city. So we want to spread out in the country and have this great experience. Like, okay, great. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Yeah. It's not, not what anyone expected, I think, but it's good. Yeah. It's good that you were, I mean, you didn't even have to pivot. You just, it just all worked out, which is awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, our time has, is flying by here. What, what kinds of, I just want to uh, first ask you if there's anything that you wish I would have asked you that we haven't touched on anything that you want to kind of any little direction you want to go or. I don't think so. I think you asked a lot of good questions. Oh, thanks. Um, and so what, like, so there's someone out there who's like, oh, you know, I really want to do this. I keep hearing about short-term rentals. I mean, so buy your book. What other, is there another like piece of advice that you would give to people? Yeah. Um, not just my book. Um, there, I, I would read David Green's Long Distance Real Estate Investing. Uh, there's my podcast, The Short-Term Show. There's the Bigger Pockets podcast, talks a lot about short-term rentals now. Um, there's a lot of great, YouTube channels, uh, Rob built. So Rob, that's on the bigger pockets podcast. Uh, he's one of the hosts, actually a client of ours. Um, he's got a great YouTube channel. Uh, there's just so many Resources. great sources of information now. Um, and there's a lot of bad ones. Like there's a lot of people who over the last year or two were like, I'm going to be an influencer. And they've, you know, they own one property. They haven't even owned it an entire year. And they're trying to tell people how to invest. Like you got to make sure that you look at the track record of the person who you're following, but there's so much great information out there. It's, um, just make sure that it's, you know, what you need it to be from somebody with a good track record. Yeah, definitely. Excellent advice. All right, Avery, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been super talking to you and we will put all the links to all of your uh, assets and cool, you know, your book and your, and your Facebook group and everything that you've shared with us will all be in the show notes. And um, yeah. So is there anything as far as people reaching you? Is, is there any, um, any way that you like to be reached out to if somebody's like, that's it, I'm doing it. I want to invest with Avery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you go to our website, the shop.com, there's a little button that says, um, schedule consultation, just click that. Or you can hit me on any social media. I'm at the short-term shop. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you listener for listening. I hope that Avery has helped to give you that last little push that you need to finally get invested in short-term rentals. She has some super information, excellent book and podcast. And I recommend that you make this the day that you make the commitment and actually do it. In the meantime, have a wonderful week. See you next week.
Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Women Creating Wealth. For more info, be sure to check out womencreatingwealth.net. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and consider sharing the wealth with someone else who might enjoy it. See you next week.